Well, as we already mentioned, this morning is, today is the first Sunday of the season of Advent. And I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about Advent. Maybe some of you think of kind of daily portions of chocolate, right, through cardboard calendars or candles being lit and Advent wreaths. But we often treat Advent as kind of like the pregame to Christmas, right? As though the purpose of Advent is to extend that good old Christmas cheer throughout the entire month of December instead of keeping it all bound up and confined to just one day of the year. And in our consumeristic Western culture, that means that we spend the season of Advent rushing around from one place to another and buying and consuming and stressing and striving to try to make sure that everything goes just right during this season that's supposed to be so magical. But a true understanding of the season of Advent invites us into an entirely different way of preparing for Christmas. The season of Advent invites us into the practice of waiting. Now, let's just be honest here for a moment. How do you feel about waiting? Personally, I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, waiting isn't something that we have to do an awful lot in our day and age. Waiting is something that people were way more familiar with back in the pioneer times, right? Back before the invention of the microwave and high-speed internet. But very occasionally, every now and then, we find ourselves in one of those situations where we are forced to wait. I had one of those uh, situations a little while ago. I ran into storage space issues on my computer, and so I ordered an external hard drive from Amazon. And I found such a good deal that I ordered the hard drive even though it didn't come with prime shipping. It was a great deal. What can I say? It was a good deal. I figured it would take at very most like five days, maybe, maybe like seven days to get to me. But a week went by and I still didn't have the hard drive. I know. And so I went online, I checked the order details and it said that it had been shipped, but that I was still going to have to wait an entire other week before it got to me. And so I was a little annoyed, right? Not because I really needed the hard drive urgently or anything. My computer worked, it was fine. But just because waiting is just so terrible, right? And then another week went by and the hard drive still hadn't arrived. And so I checked the order details online. There was no new information. The expected arrival date had just come and gone with no hard drive. And I couldn't even reach out to my dear friends at the customer service department of Amazon at this point because I'd ordered it from a third-party seller, right? And there was no guaranteed timeline. And so there was nothing I could do but wait. And wait, I did. Days passed. Weeks passed. 
months passed, two months before finally one day I checked the order details and it said that the small, uh, that the package had been delivered. And so when I got home, you know, I found it on the doorstep there, I tore open the package and inside I found not a hard drive, but a little hair clip with a unicorn head on it. <laughs> All of that waiting for a unicorn hair clip. I mean, it's very cute, right? But it didn't really help me with the storage issues I was dealing with on my computer. I don't like waiting. And we live in a culture where we're not used to waiting, where most of the time we're able to get what we want and need the moment that we want or need it. But in the season of Advent, we're invited into the practice of waiting. And if we dare enter into it, it provides a beautiful alternative to the consumeristic frenzy that takes our world by storm in the month of December. Now, the word Advent is a Latin word that means coming or arrival. And during the season of Advent, we remember that we are people who are living in the in-between. It's kind of like we reach one hand back into the past and remember those who waited and waited for the Messiah to come and rescue God's people. And we remember that Christ, who came into the world as Emmanuel, God with us, is with us still today. And we reach one hand into the future, and we remember that Christ will come again to make all things new. The season of Advent is the first season of the liturgical calendar. Think about that for a moment. The Christian year doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. It begins with a season of waiting, with a season of anticipation, with a season of longing for Jesus to come. As the culture around us speeds up in the Christmas chaos, Advent reminds us to slow down and to wait on the God who is our source of hope. As the culture around us tells us to buy and consume, Advent reminds us that everything we really need is given to us as a gift by the God who made us and loves us. And as the culture around us stresses and strives to manufacture the perfect holiday experience with the best presents and the tastiest food and the brightest lights, Advent invites us to tell the truth about the darkness that exists in this world and to look to Christ for the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that we so desperately need and long for. One of the reasons that waiting can be so agonizingly difficult for us is that waiting feels kind of like wasted time. You know what I mean? Like when we wait, it feels like nothing's happening. Like the potential that's packed into every moment is just withering away while we kind of just like tap our fingers and stare into 
the abyss. But there's a kind of waiting that scripture calls us to that isn't wasted time at all. There's a kind of waiting that shapes us and molds us and forms us as people of faith. Rich Velotis is an author and a pastor from New York, and he says this, what God does in us as we wait is often much more important than what we're waiting for. What God does in us as we wait is often much more important than what we're waiting for. Waiting can clarify what really matters in our lives. It can strengthen our resolve. Waiting can pull out our fear and our selfishness, kind of pull them to the surface so that we can bring them to God and be transformed. Waiting can teach us to let go of our need for control and to live in a posture of surrender to the God who loves us. And the key ingredient to the kind of waiting that we're called to as people of faith, the secret sauce that takes our waiting and transforms it from something that creates restlessness and anxiety in us to something that enlarges our faith and fills us with peace and joy is this week's Advent theme. It's hope. It's hope. Advent reminds us that we are people who wait with hope. Now, hope can be a tricky thing to kind of try to wrap our heads around because the way we use the word hope in our culture is very different from the way that scripture talks about hope. In our culture, sometimes we think about hope as kind of like an optimism. A person who's hopeful is somebody who looks at the world through rose-tinted glasses, right? who sees the cup as being half full rather than half empty, who holds on to a positive perspective even when the odds are stacked against them. Other times, we use the word hope to describe wishful thinking. Right? We might not be sure of uh, what kind of outcome we can expect, but we hope for the best. We hope that there isn't a lineup at the Tim Hortons drive-thru. Right? We hope that we have good weather on our vacation. We hope that the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup. Right? Or was that what they try to win, the hockey people? We hope that they win. We hope they win it. Sometimes we think about hope as just kind of like a warm, fuzzy feeling. Right? We like the word hope. It makes us feel good. And so we get, print, get it printed on things like mugs and pillows to just lift our spirits as we go about our day-to-day lives. But biblical hope isn't just optimism. It isn't just wishful thinking or warm, fuzzy feelings. It's something that's bigger and deeper and stronger than any of that. And in scripture, hope isn't dependent on our circumstances. It's something that holds steady throughout the ups and the downs of our lives and throughout our joys and our struggles. Because biblical hope is rooted in God's faithfulness. A pastor and author, John Mark Comer, defines hope as the expectation of coming good based on the person and the promises of God. 
Walter Brueggemann defines hope as the deep religious conviction that God has not quit. I like that one. The deep religious conviction that God hasn't quit. And Jesus was born into a world where there was very little reason in terms of circumstances for the Jewish people to have hope. They'd suffered through war and exile and captivity. They were living under the oppression of the Romans. They'd gone 400 years with no prophets or revelations from God. Can you imagine? God's people had gone 400 years with silence from God. We can be sure that at times, the Jewish people questioned whether God was going to come through for them. We can be sure that they struggled to wrap their heads around how they could possibly still be God's people. We can be sure that there were some people who had given up on their faith altogether. But the early passages of the gospel show us that there were also people who waited on God with hope. With a hope that was anchored in their experiences of God's goodness. They remembered that God had led them out of slavery. They remembered that God had provided for them in the desert. They remembered that God had called them his people and that again and again he had proven himself to be faithful to them. And with a hope that was anchored in God's promise. And God's promise that he would send a Messiah to rescue them and to lead them into a time of peace and prosperity. A time that was given to them again and again through the Old Testament prophets. And this morning, as we think about what it means to be people who wait with hope, we're going to take a look at just a few snapshots of what it looked like in the lives of three people who held on to hope when all of the circumstances were stacked against them. People who were just going about their normal everyday lives until God broke into the world in a whole new way and invited them to be key players in bringing about his salvation to the world people who we read about in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. We're going to look at the lives of Zechariah, Mary, and Simeon. But before we do that, I just want to check in with you. How does my mic sound? Is it okay for you guys? Okay, that's good. It's driving me nuts up here. <laughs> as long as it sounds okay for you, that's what counts. So starting with Zechariah. We are introduced to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah was a Jewish priest. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth. And Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. And yet, their lives hadn't gone exactly as planned. Verse 7 tells us that they had no children because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, it's difficult for us to kind of try to wrap our heads around how much pain and confusion this would have caused for Zechariah and Elizabeth. In this culture, not being able to have children came with an incredible amount of stigma and shame. 
It was often understood as some type of judgment from God. And yet Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to trust God and to live in obedience to him, even in the midst of their suffering and their unanswered questions. And one day Zechariah is going about his priestly duty in the temple. He has this once in a lifetime opportunity to enter into the sanctuary and to burn incense while the people pray outside. And while he's in the sanctuary, an angel appears and tells Zechariah that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son. A son who will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah and who will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And at first, Zechariah is skeptical. He says, how can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is also along in years. This is another sign of his wisdom, right? I like how he softens that when he talks about his wife. He's old. His wife, though, she's just well along in years. And his questioning results in a very interesting punishment. The angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. I'm pretty sure that's how angels say, do you know who you're talking to? (laughs) But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So Zechariah is forced into silence. He's forced to let go of control, to sit back, to watch, and to wait quietly until this promised child is born. And as the story goes on, God fulfills his promise. John is born, and Zechariah's voice comes back, and he praises God, and he gives this incredible prophecy over his son. In verses 76 to 79, he says, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Isn't that beautiful? Now, one of the things that I love about this story is that Zechariah isn't perfect, right? He's got doubts like us. He's got questions like us, right? He is a real human. It isn't the fact that Zechariah is some sort of spiritual superhero that qualifies him to be a part of God's plan for salvation. All that Zechariah is doing when the angel shows up is practicing the rhythms of his faith. He's praying. He's worshiping. He's performing the Jewish rituals that are assigned to him as a Jewish priest. Zechariah is doing what he's called to do in the waiting. He shows us that waiting isn't passive. 
It's not passive. Waiting doesn't mean sitting back and twiddling our thumbs or just watching Netflix or just checking out on our faith until God kind of shakes things up and does something new. Waiting on God with hope means engaging in the rhythms of faith and the practices that help to keep our hearts and our minds focused on God. Next, let's have a look at Mary. So Mary is a young woman. She's a virgin who's engaged to a man named Joseph. And one day, an angel shows up and tells Mary that she has found favor with God and that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. Let's have a look. Luke 1 verse 30 says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary isn't skeptical in the same way that Zachariah was skeptical, but she does have a very practical question for the angel. How? Right? How? But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. It's a good catch, right? It's a fair question. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And listen to how Mary responds. She says, I am the Lord's servants. May everything you have said about me come true. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I was Mary, I would have had some more questions. I would have wanted to do some negotiating before really making my commitment. Giving birth to the Messiah wasn't a part of Mary's five-year plan. Right? How would she explain this to Joseph? How would she and the baby be taken care of? if Joseph broke off the marriage? What kind of rejection and judgment would she face from her family and from her community? Saying yes to the angel Gabriel is a risky decision for Mary, but she shows no hesitation in giving that response because in her hopeful waiting, Mary had learned to live in a posture of surrender to God. Mary understood that her life was in God's hands. And so when God called her to something that was risky and that she felt unqualified for, she was ready to step out in faith and to do it anyways. Mary shows us that hopeful waiting means living in a posture of surrender and being ready to step out and take the risks that God calls us to, even when we don't have all of the details about how things are gonna unfold. 
And next, let's look at Simeon, one of the lesser-known uh, characters from the, the stories around Jesus' birth. Luke introduces us to a man named Simeon in chapter 2, verse 25, and he tells us that Simeon is from Jerusalem. He's a man who's righteous and devout and who is eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Think about that, just living with that expectancy. And one day, the Spirit leads Simeon to the temple. And while he's there, Mary and Joseph show up with Jesus to carry out the rituals of the law. And Simeon sees Jesus, and he takes him in his arms, and he looks at him, and he says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon had lived his entire life patiently waiting for God to fulfill his promise to Israel. And when he laid his eyes on Jesus, he recognized that that little baby was the fulfillment to that promise. Now, there was nothing special for Simeon to notice about Mary and Joseph. Right? They were just a young couple with a little baby. It would have been obvious to Simeon that they were poor because they brought two pigeons as their sacrifice instead of the lamb, which was the more traditional sacrifice. The circumstances around Jesus' birth were overwhelmingly underwhelming, right? Unlike anything that would have been expected by anyone for the Messiah. But Simeon was attentive to the spirit. He was wide awake. His eyes were open for the ways that God was on the move, even in the least expected places. And just one glimpse of the salvation that came into the world through Christ was enough for Simeon. He laid eyes on Jesus, he praised God, and then he said that he was ready to die in peace. Simeon embodied the kind of active waiting that Henry Nouwen has written about. Nouwen says, active waiting is waiting that pays attention is fully present to what's going on, even when, all, when to all outward appearances, nothing is going on. Active waiting is waiting that pays attention and is fully present. Simeon shows us that waiting on God with hope means keeping our eyes open for the ways that God is on the move, even in unexpected ways and in unexpected places. The stories that surround the birth of Jesus give us all kinds of examples of what it looks like to wait on God with hope. Now today, we find ourselves in a different place in the story of salvation. We find ourselves between Christ's first coming and his second coming, 
right? In this in-between space where the kingdom of God has broken into our world, but it's not yet here in its fullness. And the season of Advent reminds us that our hope is found in three different aspects of Christ's coming. Our hope is found in knowing that Christ came into the world 2,000 years ago and in experiencing Christ's presence with us here and now and in believing that he will come again to redeem and restore all things. We have hope because Jesus came into the world. Because even when we were at our worst, God didn't abandon us or give up on us, but instead he sent his son to rescue us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He showed us what God is like. He showed us God's compassion, his humility, his grace. And then he died on the cross and rose again so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free, and so that we could live for all of eternity in light of God's perfect love. We have hope because Jesus is with us now. When Jesus was born, he was called Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us. God came into the world to be with us in Christ and by his spirit, he's with us today. He's with us when everything is going right, And he's with us when everything is going wrong. He's with us in our greatest joys. And he's with us in our deepest sorrows. He's with us in our successes. And he's with us in our failures. God is with us. Romans 8 verse 38 says that there's nothing, nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God. And that has the power to carry us through the darkest seasons of our lives. And it gives us strength to get through our most challenging situations and it empowers us to do what God calls us to do each and every day. And we have hope because Jesus will come again to make all things new. We are living in a broken world, right? And there's evidence of that all around us. We don't have to look too far. We see it in sickness and in death. We see it in violence and in war, in injustice and oppression, in loneliness, in conflict, in fractured relationships. It's all around us, right? The kingdom of God has come, but it's not yet fully here. But one day... Christ will come again to renew and restore all things. Death and evil will be overcome. All wrongs will be made right and we will be healed and made whole. And we will live for all of eternity in God's presence. We have this future hope. Fleming Rutledge says, in Advent, we don't pretend that we're in the darkness before the birth of Christ. Rather, we take a good hard look at the darkness we're in now facing and defining it honestly so that we will understand with utmost clarity that our great and only hope is in Jesus' final victorious coming. We have hope because Christ has come, because Christ is with us, and because Christ will come again. And in the meantime, we wait.
we wait, but we wait with hope. And what does that look like? It looks like trusting in God's faithfulness and promises as we engage in practices that help us to stay connected to God, like Zechariah. Practices like worship and prayer and silence and solitude. And in that, letting God's spirit fill us with peace and love as we focus our attention on him. It means remembering remembering who God is and who we are and embracing a posture of surrender like Mary. It means living in responsive obedience to what God calls us to, even when it's risky and even when we feel unqualified, because we know that our lives are in God's hands. And it means keeping our eyes open for the ways that God is on the move within us and all around us, even in the people and the places and the situations that we would least expect it, like Simeon. And living with our arms and our hearts wide open to receive God's salvation. So I don't know where your hope meter is at as we enter into Advent this year. Maybe some of us are in one of those seasons where hope feels hard to find. And we don't know how we're going to conjure up enough Christmas spirit to carry us through the relentless holiday frenzy that lies ahead. And if that's you this morning, I have good news for you. The hope that Advent celebrates is for you. Advent hope gives us permission to tell the truth about the darkness in our lives. It gives us permission to be honest about the pain and the challenges that just won't go away, regardless of how much tinsel we put on the tree and how loudly we blare the Christmas carols. And to remember that regardless of how dark our world might feel, there's always hope. There's always hope because our hope isn't dependent on our circumstances. Our hope is found in a person. Our hope is found in Jesus. Advent takes place during the darkest time of the year. As a reminder that no matter how dark our world might get, Jesus is our source of light. As Wendell Berry once said, it gets darker and darker and then Jesus is born. John chapter one gives us a poem to describe the significance of Jesus coming into the world. And in chapter, in verse five, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so maybe the invitation this season is to face the darkness honestly while keeping our eyes open for the glimmers of light that God gives us in the weeks ahead. To hold on to both sorrow and joy at the very same time while finding our ultimate hope in the God who is with us. Maybe some of us are overflowing with holiday spirit this year and we're ready to dive in with both feet to the whirlwind of festivities that await us in the weeks ahead. And if that's you this morning, 
I have good news for you too. The hope that Advent celebrates is also for you. It's for all of us. Right? And maybe the invitation this season is to clear out some time in our schedules to wait. To enjoy all of the festivities as they come. I'm not saying we should cancel fun this Christmas season. But to leave some space. To leave some space to feel the weight of the darkness. To long for Jesus to come and make things right. And to be reminded that Jesus is our only true source of light. This Advent season, may we be people who experience the fullness of God's hope in the waiting so that we can reflect the bright light of Christ to our dark and weary worlds. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to take a couple of moments to, to reflect. Would you join me in prayer? Oh God, we thank you that you are a God of hope, that throughout all of history, you have shown us your goodness. You have shown us your faithfulness. You fulfilled your promises, God. We thank you for Jesus and that we have hope regardless of what's going on in our lives because our hope is found in him. And the fact that he came into the world, that he's with us now and that he will come again. Would you anchor our hearts to those truths as we move towards Advent this year? Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to invite you just to take a moment to think about where, how, how, how hope is kind of shaping, taking shape in your own life. And so start by taking a moment to think about how hopeful you are as we head into Advent this year. And take a deep breath, center yourself in God's presence. Just take a minute to reflect on that question. Where is your, your hope meter at? How hopeful are you feeling as we head into Advent this year? And just be honest about that before God. Allow yourself to sense God's presence with you in that. And now, how is God inviting you to wait on him with hope during this Advent season? Just hold that question before, before him. What's the invitation for you this Advent? I'm going to close with a prayer by Kate Bowler. She says, this Advent we wait for the world to be made right. Oh God, help us in our fear and confusion, in our uncertainty and grief, in our despair and longing. Infuse us with a hope that doesn't make sense, with a love that doesn't add up, with joy enough to endure the long, long nights as we wait in hope for thy kingdom to come.